Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. If you haven't heard, it's a good idea to fit probiotics into your daily routine. Fortunately, Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls make that so easy. These adorable little pearls couldn't be easier to take, and they support both digestive and vaginal health, all because of the probiotics. There are actually 1 billion active cultures protecting against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort, all in one tiny little pearl. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike, and this week, I want to look back on my top five favorite interviews of 2023. It has been a great and also weird year because there was a strike, and actors and directors, they weren't doing interviews, so I am happy to have the interviews I do have to share with you today, but I also want to take a moment to say thank you for listening to this podcast. I started it now four years ago, just celebrated the four-year anniversary. December 2019 is when I started this thing. And as a training exercise, I went back and listened to some early episodes. And oh my gosh, guys, to the ones that have been there since day one, I thank you because I sounded like an idiot. To those who are new to the podcast, I hadn't done a show like this before where it's just me talking and giving my thoughts. So I feel like I was so hyped up in those early episodes and it's almost just cringeworthy to go back and listen to. But it also just shows me with not just doing a podcast, but with doing anything, those initial episodes you do or those initial drafts or whatever it is that's a part of your craft, you're going to look back and think, oh my gosh. And you should be embarrassed at those things because... If you look back on those and think, oh, man, that's when I was really crushing it, you haven't really grown as a person. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast, whether you're part of the movie crew and listen every single week on Monday when episodes get released, or maybe you drop in occasionally, maybe you just see a clip on TikTok or Instagram and think, oh, maybe I'll go check out that episode or that interview, whatever level of listener you are. I just thank you for spending one, two episodes, one minute, whatever it is. Because talking about movies is my favorite thing. I love watching movies and discussing them and crafting my reviews and crafting my thoughts to share with you. And it is the thing that brings me the most joy when it comes to doing any kind of podcast. Because even if I didn't have this podcast, this would be what I want to talk about with friends. So I'm glad I have that now in the form of you guys and being able to share my thoughts. The thing I look forward to the most is whenever somebody watches a movie and then tweets me, sends me a DM or tags me on something of, I want to know your thoughts on this movie. That is my greatest accomplishment for anybody to want to know my thoughts on anything. So I really love what we have created here, this movie community that we can share our thoughts on movies and not hate each other and drag each other through the mud. It's just been really fun to get to do and to get to grow with. And 
going into the next year, I would love to be able to do more interviews, specifically more in-person interviews. And I get this question a lot of why don't I do more? It's hard living in Nashville, not really being a hub for cinema, as they say that a lot of people don't come here to promote their movie. We'll get into one that was a very rare occasion for me. But aside from that, it's also just hard to get long form interviews with really big actors and directors that even the shows at the top level still only get five to 10 minutes with these people. So I think the thing I have really tried to get better at quickly because I don't have a whole lot of time is just becoming a better interviewer for you guys. So that is something I really want to work for for you in 2024 going into next year and just a lot of plans I have with this podcast. So next year just being a great year for movies, also 2025, I'll always looking ahead to that year of movies. I think it's going to be amazing. So I hope you stick around. Hope you still love the podcast as much as you did back on episode one. And always thank you for telling a friend about this podcast. This would be a great one to share because it is what I believe to be the best conversations I've had with guests this week. So going through the list at number five is one that I actually didn't air on the podcast, but I also do another show called The Bobbycast, which is a music show. And we had on Randy Hauser, who is in Killers of the Flower Moon. And we got to talk to him about that. I got to ask him some questions about being on set and working with Leonardo DiCaprio. So this is kind of an exclusive to this podcast because it didn't really air here initially, but it was cool for me to be able to talk about one of the best movies of the year with somebody who was actually in it, got to work with Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese. So here I am talking with country artist Randy Hauser. The scene you have is with Leonardo DiCaprio, and one of my other favorite movies he did with Scorsese was Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah. And I've seen like a behind the scenes clip of him like totally in the zone, doesn't even look like he's there, and then right when the camera goes on, he instantly goes into that character. Yeah. Does he do that? Yeah. One of the things that was noticeable about it, well, he's he's also, also, when he doesn't look like he's working, his mind, like, one of the strangest things would happen was, like, between, like, uh, between, like, takes, if we had, like, downtime, changing out film, stuff like that, just hanging out talking, I did, I, I'd notice that he would, like, uh, you know, like, the next day, he would come back to the set, and, and we'd be talking, and and he would repeat things that I said to him just like me. Like he would download my accent and stuff like that, which is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, but no, he would, you know, he would, like there would be time we'd be just be throwing a ball or something out in, out in the yard. And then, you know, it'd be time to go back in, you know, like he very normal, very normal guy, but also freaking amazing. Whenever, whenever they would yell action, how he, he would just, freaking go at it you know it was just kind of like stepping on the grand old opera and them saying it's your turn and like doing what i do you kind of have to just one of the things that was so cool about it to me and that i enjoyed about the whole process is that i was first of all i was scared to death i had never done this i was like i don't know what the hell i'm doing here and um but the same is is even now before I go on stage, I'm a little anxious. I'm like, look, these people going to hate me, whatever. But when it came time to go to the set, from you know the actors little where we we're staged to go to the actual getting cameras, the same the same gear was shifted in my being that that is when I'm walking to the stage to go play music, and that and it became it fed me like to go do it rather than 
you know, all the every fear was gone. It was just go time. So I see I could see that in him as well. But I was able like that blocking mechanism that that happens with going to make music. It totally was the same thing. I'd never seen this whole process at all, you know, and so it was it was strange. I, it was um and I'd never really done, you know, I'd never done it. And the first first scene I shot was the scene that actually made the film. Um, there's a lot of scenes that got cut. You know, they should have had hundreds of hours of stuff. But um, they, uh, the first scene that I shot was the scene that actually made the film. And it was like four hours of like going back. Because they shoot it, you know, from every angle. Everybody's in the scene has to do their thing. But, and I remember just being like totally... Like what the hell? There's Martin Scorsese right up there, and and he's coming over to me, and he's standing over my shoulder right here, and I, I'm sitting at that this desk, you know, it's like that bigger than that thing, but like old school, and I'm sitting there, and he's explaining what he wants out of me, and talking to me, and I'm like <laughs> literally in la la language, what the hell? And so we shoot my angle like I don't know four times, and. Marty, he's over there in this other room where they're viewing what's going on. He comes out, all right, we got it. And I went, because I had seen a guy the day before. I got there, and I stayed on set all day dressed, ready to go to shoot this scene. Didn't happen. But I'd seen a guy uh, in, another, in, in, in another scene that, that didn't make it. Uh, they shot his this thing like, I don't know, it must have been 20-something times. Because they couldn't get it, couldn't get it, and and you could sense the, you could sense the the air leaking out of the room, and it was wasting time and money, and so I was just like went back to my bus out, and I was like, please God, don't let me be that guy. And I studied, studied. <laughs> well, so then he comes up and he goes, Marty comes out, okay, Randy, we got it, and I was like, we do, and he's like, yeah, we got it, and I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, uh, and and he said, what? and so Leo looks at him and says, what do you mean? You sure? I was like, I, I've never really done this. He said, what do you mean you've never really done this? I was like, I've never done this. He said, well, wouldn't, you wouldn't know. <laughs> you know? I was I like, would, I my- would know. <laughs> At number four was when I got to talk to Lee Cronin, the director of Evil Dead Rise, which is one of my favorite horror movies of 2023. A franchise that I believe is highly underrated when it comes to being one of the best in horror. And I loved hearing about Lee Cronin's passion for bringing back blood on the big screen and how much just thought goes into every single element of the filmmaking process from the movie poster to what scenes to include in the movie trailer and just what it takes to making a really scary movie. So here's my conversation at number four with Lee Cronin, the director of Evil Dead Rise. As a movie reviewer, every time I go see a movie out front, I like to take a picture with the poster. And the issue I have now with a lot of modern movie posters, it's all just a bunch of floating heads. But I feel like with the Evil Dead Rise, that was not the case. The other thing I loved about this movie, that first opening scene, the first maybe 20 minutes of the movie, I really start to connect with the characters. And I think sometimes in horror movies, they just get into, oh, here's all the blood and guts right away. But what changed the level of this movie is like, I care about their backstory. I care about them getting together. So what is that kind of balance you have of like, okay, I'm going to kind of commit to fleshing out these characters, even though I know people came here for the horror, you you bought them in with the trailer. Like, how do you balance that? I think you've got to just try and be true to those characters and give them enough air 
to exist and to feel real. I think that that is, is really important. And I remember when I approached this, because again, understanding Evil Dead and what these type of movies need to be, I knew that I couldn't have extraordinarily elaborate arcs. You know, there had to be a point in time where things turned and maybe it's really Beth in a lot of ways and Cassie to a certain extent as they're accepting what's happening and trying to form this new little family unit to survive uh, as the film progresses. But it's funny, you talk about structure a lot when you write, and obviously I wrote the screenplay. And, you know, from that point of view, rather than looking at it as a traditional three-act structure, it was there was three parts to it in my mind. There was a really great opening to the film that would draw people in, give them, give them a fright, give them some scares, give them some of that visceral, give them a taste of what was to come. And then I wanted to go and spend some time with the family and hopefully have put people on edge so that then when they spend time with that family, they're wondering, well, when is this going to kick in and when is when is it all going to go crazy? Um, and so I was comfortable spending time in that space with that family, getting to know and love those characters, because then when I turn it and everything falls apart for these people and the darkness rolls in and the evil wakes up, what you're kind of um, facing then is just that roller coaster, but you're doing it with people and characters that you care about. That was the key. So it's not a traditional three-act structure. It's, it's structure, but it's still a story in three parts, which was, you know, open that movie and scare the hell out of people, yeah. get them on board, strap them in, give them people that they love, and then just kick the shit out of everybody. Yeah. You mentioned the writing process of this, and I always hear to write about what you know. Like, if I were writing a horror movie, I would write about, like, the sleep paralysis I faced when I felt like there was, like, a demon on my chest. But for writing a movie like this, like, where do you go in your mind? Do you, like, draw from personal experiences? Do you have, like, experiences with any kind of, like, demonic presence? Where do you go? Yeah, I've got all, I've got all these cheese grater wounds. And um, <laughs> Again, it's actually back to character in a lot of ways. Like I look to my family and people that I know. I'm not a parent. I don't have children. But the three kids in this movie are kind of loosely based on my sister's three children, for example. So that was a place that I looked in terms of character. And then I actually wrote the film during the very first COVID lockdown that took place. So I was kind of trapped in my apartment. And that really aided me in just looking at the basic trappings of domestic life and how I could kind of use those. So in a way, I'm still drawing on quite banal things. Like I said, a cheese grater is something you use when you're making a sandwich or you're making a lasagna or whatever it might be. You know, you drink some wine from a glass or you play with a toy or you use a scissors to cut something. And it might seem obvious, but I was able to kind of stare at those objects and think about ways of, of, of using them. So again, I just will always lean into what I know. I've always, as a, as a you know, as a grown up, essentially lived in an apartment so also kind of that context of that place of not knowing who's above, who's below, who's left and who's right. And and what might kind of walk up the corridor in in, in this strange place, because you're on your, in your own little island locked in a box when you live live in an apartment. So all of those things were still kind of personal uh, and things that I could lean into to just try and draw a little bit of influence out of. Luckily, haven't faced any real world demonic possessions yet. But, you know, yeah, maybe for the next movie, you get possessed. Yeah, I just want to be careful. I don't like you know, research something and dabble with the, with the wrong juju that then uh, <laughs> brings something my way that I don't want. This movie has one of my favorite just single images. It's when Lily Sullivan has the chainsaw. She's covered in blood. All you can see is the white of her eyes and the white of her teeth. Did you have to fight for the amount of blood used in this movie? Not like not in terms of ambition. One of the biggest battles is actually like when you use that volume of blood, it's pretty expensive. It becomes like a serious budget line when you're when you're making a film. So it was finding the right way of of making sure we could we could get all the blood right and use all the blood the way that we actually ne like needed to do it. Um, what was the blood budget? I actually couldn't tell you how much we spent on it. Like I can tell you it was 
it's, it was around 3000 gallons, I think. Um, so which is about in, you know, I'm, I'm from Europe. So it's like six and a half thousand liters. So it was a, it was a lot of blood, but the expensive aspect was I made it clear really early on that we wouldn't cheat. There was no water with red food coloring mm. or using something else and color correcting it. To, it's like, it's gotta be movie blood. The cast have to suffer in a way. <laughs> and they did when they were drenched in all of that sticky stuff, it sticks skin together. You lose hair. You can't walk properly. It's like it's it's really intense, but it actually added in a good way to their discomfort because it made them feel something very, very real. And that was important. That final scene, all the blood coming down the elevator, it just made me feel whenever you first make the first trailer for this movie and you put that out, do you ever worry like this might be a little bit too scary for just like the general going like movie person? There's always that line, you know, there is because I wanted this movie to play to a wide audience. So I, I guess we got it right. But there's, of course, you ask those questions because there are certain people that just go, no, 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 no. I, there's no way I can yeah. watch this. But to be fair, those people also maybe will struggle to watch it one way or another, or maybe they want to wait and watch it at home. They're going to struggle to watch it in a room with a bunch of strangers in a theater or whatever. But I think you just got to put your best foot forward. And the goal of the trailer was to make it entertaining and scary. I don't think there's a line that's too scary. It's like if it was a comedy, hey, that trailer was too funny. The one thing I was really happy with was the trailer showed people a lot but there was so much more to discover. Mm-hmm. So I remember that you'd always get comments in the trailer come out. It's like, oh, I hope they haven't shown everything. And I was kind of rubbing my hands in the background going, you kind of ain't seen nothing yet. Because we obviously, there's there's quite a monstrous conclusion to the film and nobody had a clue about that until the film came out. Um, and, and, and a lot of other kind of great kills and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think you got to make it scary. You've got to appeal to as wide an audience as you can. Um, but you've got to try and push it right out to the line as far as you can. And again, great team in Warner Brothers. I think they you know, and, uh, you know, really took it to to the right place. Yeah, I mean, I've never been just scared off a trailer alone going into a movie. Like, I felt terrified in the theater the first time I watched it. So that was awesome. So I thought the movie was great. Really a great time talking to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Nice to speak to you, too. At number three is my conversation with Alex Congaree, who wrote Air, which came out earlier this year with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, which is the story about the creation of the Air Jordan. And I just loved how this movie came to be and how Alex was really just hanging out on his couch. He watched that show, The Last Dance on Netflix, which is all about the rise of Michael Jordan and his career and becoming one of the most iconic figures in sports. There was a small segment in The Last Dance that inspired him to write this movie. He wrote this script and then Ben Affleck and Matt Damon saw it and decided they wanted to make it into a movie and give them sole writing credit, which is a major, major deal in the movie industry to have your first film picked up, turned into a movie. And even though they worked with him to fix the script and change things, they still didn't put their name on it, which is amazing. And I can't wait to see where his career goes from this. And I just love getting to know about the writing process and all the work that goes into making sure that the story is there on the page before it gets put onto the screen. So here's my conversation with the writer of Air, Alex Convery. What has been the most important phone call that you've ever received in your life? There are a couple, you know, like, I mean, dating all the way back to like getting the first call from, you know, the guys that would end up being my agents saying like, we read your script Bagman and are interested in meeting with you for representation. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, that's the call that like, you know, in a lot of ways I've been dreaming of since moving up here for film school. Now, I, at the time I was like, oh my gosh, I've made it. But it's like, nope, <laughs> like, there's still so much work that has to go into it, you know? You know, I was getting the call on this one that, that you know, Ben was interested and I was going to meet with him. That was an important one. I mean, the call after Ben had met with Jordan, basically saying like, Jordan 
has given his blessing with a few, you know, as long as we can accomplish these notes and we're good to go. I mean, that was, that was huge. And then, I mean, finally, really the call from the producer saying like, you know, Amazon is, is going to finance the movie that that's like, again, like in terms of calls you dream, dream of like, that's, (laughs) that's kind of the list on a spec script, you know, like those are all the ones you need to get. And every one of them is very unlikely in its own way. And I, I, I had come to learn that, you know, over my 13 years living out here, that it's, those are very few and far between. Usually it's getting a phone call saying like, ah, oh, they didn't like the script up. Oh, that actor passed on it. Oh, well, time, time to move on to the next one. Oh, this project's dead. Like, you know, so it's just like, you get used to it, that, that the good ones definitely stand out. What was the stress like waiting for the final approval that Michael Jordan has given his blessing on the film? You know, like, what can you say? I mean, it was, it doesn't get more stressful than that. I, I mean, it's just like when you lay out what that meeting kind of meant for, you know, again, I was just like, I was an unproduced screenwriter and like we had everything else ready to go on this one. And it was basically like, if Jordan gives his blessing, then like, we're going to do the movie. And obviously it was Ben and Matt. And she's like, oh my gosh, what a, um, what a dream scenario on this one. But just as easily, it was like, I, you know, I kind of figured what, what incentives does Jordan have to do any movie, you know, like he, he doesn't need to do anything unless he wants to. So um, look, it's a credit to Ben that Ben was able to like, earn his trust and lay out all of what we were wanting to do with this movie and, and, you know, have Michael recognize that that's a very, like a person I would have been scared out of my mind sitting there for that meeting, you know, <laughs> shocker, ben, ben knows what he's doing, you know? So it was, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it would be hard. I'd be hard pressed to think of like a more stressful 24 <laughs> hours than, than that one when it professionally at least. So you're about the same age as Ben Affleck and Matt Damon when they wrote Goodwill Hunting and this being your first, you know, credited movie, do they offer you any kind of advice of where to take your career from here next? Yeah, I mean, you know, not so not not like directly. I mean, you know, the getting sole credit on the movie and all of that and, and having, you know, Ben tell me, you know, personally about that was just a very like surreal to be kind of part of that like lineage, you know, it's 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 still hard to wrap my head around, but no, you know, something Ben has said, uh, which I've really taken the heart, you know, over the last couple of months here is like, you know, he really is a believer in, in good scripts, you know, and that if it's not there on the page, it's not going to be there on the stage, as they say, you know, he's also talked a lot about the projects you turn down and say no to are in a way just as important, if not more important than the projects you do decide to take on and say yes to. And, goes back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier about like really having to love a project, you know, and really feeling the passion for it. And if it's not there, then, you know, you shouldn't do it. That's hard when you're young and you've been wanting to, you know, do all the projects in the world for so long. You know, it's like the gut instinct is to say yes to everything because it's like Hollywood is crazy and you just don't know, you know, how long a moment like, like this can last. So you know, take it all while you can get it. And, and that's the, that's kind of the gut instinct, but a hundred percent see where he's coming from, where it's like, you know, like we were talking about, you really got to love something. You really, really have to be married to a project, um, to, to, to want to do it and take it on. Did you keep anything from the set? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, but, um, you know, the cafeteria where they, uh, where they steal the candy uh, from in that scene where Matt and, and uh, Jason are, are working late over the weekend. On the last day, I was like, well, it would only be fitting if I also 
take something from here. Uh, so yeah, I have a, uh, I, I have a, one of those coffee mugs that, that was sitting on the shelf there. And so it's like, you know, it's right. That's what they say. It's not stealing. Yeah. There's no uh, work in the register. You can take it. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Did you get any free Nike stuff from working on this movie? Not free, but I was, you know, like when these things happen, there's like, you get like a start gift when the movie starts and a wrap gift when the movie ends. So, uh, uh, from like, you know, multiple agents and manager, and, you know, producers and, and the whole deal. So, uh, you can imagine on this film what most of those gifts were, yeah. <laughs> uh, fittingly. But yes, those were, uh, you know, they kindly, uh, uh, you know, bought those shoes. Uh, and, and yeah, it's uh, it's been a nice part of it that I've definitely expanded my, my, my Jordan <laughs> collection by a bit. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. At number two is the director of Blue Beetle, Angel Manuel Soto, who is somebody that I just felt an instant connection with because he's Puerto Rican, I'm Mexican, and he made a movie that just resonated with me and so many other people who haven't seen themselves represented on the big screen in a superhero movie before. And I could have talked to him for hours, for hours, because I just love this movie so much. And it was cool to see him be so passionate about his work. And you think sometimes when movies don't necessarily perform the way they should at the box office, you think it would discourage a director from being so proud of it. Not the case with Angel. He was so just like, this is the best movie ever, and I'm going to tell you why. And he's just a really bright and positive guy. And right now with the DCEU ending with Aquaman 2, I hope that DC keeps him around. And I really, really, really hope we get another Blue Beetle movie with Angel behind the camera. Because this movie, I love it. It's on Max if you haven't seen it yet. I would actually recommend every single movie we've talked about here because they've all come out this year. But at number two, here is my interview with the director of Blue Beetle. 
Hey, something they mentioned before we got on this interview was the pronunciation of your name, and it got me to thinking, did you draw from personal experience in the movie when they keep calling Jaime the wrong, they keep calling him Jamie, and they're like, oh, it's Jaime. <laughs> 100 <laughs> percent we we had to like that that's something that's way too common uh i guess to avoid and the fact that you know it is jaime but people call him jamie and it happened during production it happened all the time it happens on interviews and i'm like see it happens you know and it happened to me like uh <laughs> My wife always makes fun of me because at first I used to lose patience, but then I'm like, you know, it's what it is. Yeah. Uh, Because it's Angel. And they'll be like, can you say that again? Angel. Angel. How do you spell it? Like angel. Oh, Angel. I'm like, it it doesn't work. Repeating phonetics doesn't work for everybody. So I'm like, you know, just call me whatever you want as long as you're being respectful. (laughs) I feel on a personal level because my real name is Miguel Angel. My dad is Angel. And (laughs) there were a lot of moments of this movie where I felt like, oh, it's just speaking to me. And that was one in particular. And even with them, you know, thinking that he is supposed to be at a different location. Like, hey, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be helping in the back. Oh, man, that's uh, that happened to me and the writer. (laughs) This is the only movie that I've seen twice in theaters this year. I went to go see it first time in the summer and i loved it so much that i wanted to take my mom to go see it my mom oh nice she does not like superhero movies whatsoever she <laughs> grew up in mexico came here as a teenager but she loves the movie and one of the things that i found her grasp beyond to was the fact that you committed to using spanish throughout the entire movie did that yeah. feel like a bit of a risk to you no no because that's my life that's our life i don't i don't see it as a risk uh, i don't know if the studio sees that as a risk uh but when we were doing it, we had the blessing. I wanted to have more Spanish because the truth is, all those actors, especially like Alberto Reyes, you know, Damian Alcazar, and Adriana Barraza, um, their main language is Spanish. And when you speak from the heart, it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to speak from the language that you can better communicate. It happens to me a lot. Like for me, uh, I'm here struggling as I translate in real time. Like if it was for me, I would do this in Spanish (laughs) easily. But our Spanglish is already part of the dynamic. And because we have three generations of family in the film, it felt very authentic. This is how we talk. There's the the old lady that only speaks Spanish, but understands English because she's been here for a long time, but she refuses to speak English. There's the parents that they have to live in both worlds. And there's the kids that are already born there as first generation, but English is their first language, but they understand and they can speak Spanish. So having that work organically, we just went for the organic. We didn't want to force anything. We didn't want to force the wrong English because it felt like that doesn't come from the heart. It would be better in Spanish. We didn't do the whole, the way Hollywood used to do it, which is like, I say something in Spanish and then I right off the bat translate it in English for, you know, yeah. uh, the person that refuses to read subtitles. You know, there's no need for that. So yes, let's swing it because this is how we talk and you hired us for our authenticity. So let us be authentic. And they did. I loved it. I just wanted to thank you for creating a story and creating characters that listen to the music we listen to, eat the food we (laughs) eat, talk the way we talk, drive the cars that we drive. (laughs) And the fact that you put Los Tucanes de Tijuana in a major motion picture was like, I was like, that's it for me. Like, this is going to be my favorite movie. 
<laughs> well, like, again, like, you know, the same way that we consume Cypress Hill, we also consume the stuff that we grew up in. Like, how how untrue would it be to only play United States Top 40 in a old Latino cat? It doesn't make sense to me. We listen to it, but you know what? There's other music too, man. You know, like, mm-hmm. there's more stuff out in the world that's fun that creates a similar emotion you know you can have 80s music in john hughes and we have soda stereo so why not use it like it's it's right there for us so for me it was about let us show the world who how we can be or a portion of everything that we can be and and maybe if we don't conform to the expectations of society maybe we can bring something fresh i don't know really appreciate it love the movie great to get to talk to you oh man thank you so much that was a great talk all right have a good one you too hey guys you know what this playground could use a wine country huh a redwood forest would be cool ski slopes wait did we just invent california Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you will always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can even alert you before you go too low or when you're too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see, like more time and range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. At number one was a childhood dream that came true. I got to talk to the guys that created and star in Super Troopers. They put out a new movie earlier this year called Quasi. So they were actually in town for a screening of that movie, which that was also the first ever movie premiere I got to attend. And then the next day they came into the actual studio and we got to do this together. So this was my first ever in-person interview on this podcast. And to be with people that I watched as a kid and was so inspired by and made me love comedy movies was really a dream come true. And we got to talk all about Super Troopers. So at number one, my favorite interview Interview of the year on Movie Mike's Movie Podcast is with the guys from Super Troopers. Here now with the cast of Quasi. How are you guys doing? Oh, yeah, good. How are you doing? Excellent. I'm doing great. I imagine you guys had the after party last night. When you guys go out to a bar, that people automatically just want to buy you beer because you're the beer fest guys. Lots of chugging. There's a lot of chugging that goes on. And you're, you can still handle a chug? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A a video. Yeah, you have to be prepared. Kevin. There are certain conditions and like... 
Sometimes somebody will hold you, hand you a freezing cold beer and want you to chug it, and uh, that, uh, that's not fun. I chug any temperature, guys. Kevin's, any, any temperature. Kevin's the fastest chugger. chugger. You have to be cautious of the, the drinks that people give you sometimes. You have to like see it be poured because nah. you're worried about None people. of us has been <laughs> roofied so far. Nobody but, wants to roofie us. Yeah. We're, not, we're not handsome enough. But you, Johnny Knoxville showed you a trick. Where you throw a shot, you get the shot, but you throw it over your shoulder while the other person's doing I showed, the shot. I showed him that trick. Oh. Well, you know, I thought you... Okay. <laughs> trick on the egg. People kept buying me shots in uh, Baton Rouge, and I can only drink so many. So eventually, after one or two, I would throw the third one over my shoulder. But I was usually so drunk that I would occasionally hit someone right okay. in the face. <laughs> right, and then <laughs> when we did Irish car bombs... Yeah, well, what happened was I did hit somebody right in the face. They go, oh my God! Oh, super troopers. And I got away with it. I imagine that's the same effect with, like, police officers. They see you guys, and you're like, oh, super troopers, guys. Yeah, we get out a lot of tickets. Get out of jail free card. Oh, man, I was so busted uh, in New York City. Sometimes you're out running around New York City, and there's no place to go to the bathroom. So I ducked into, like, a, <laughs> I ducked into like right? a construction right? scaffolding. Okay. And as I'm still in the middle... You can be in the middle of taking a leak and feel when a cop is right behind you. And I was like, oh, man, I am so screwed. And I turned around, and the guy's eyes got huge. He's like, you have no idea how lucky you are, buddy, that I'm a big fan. (laughs) I know. Because you're going to the slammer. Is that why you wrote the movie? You're like, ah, we're going to get out of all the things. Right. Yeah. We thought it would be the opposite. We thought they would be really unhappy with us. Really? We were nervous. The media. (laughs) So now you get out of tickets, you get free beer, and you get oysters. But it's just funny now, because it's almost like the maple syrup thing. Like, these guys have been haunted for the last, whatever, 20 years. Uh, 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 Never again. Chugging maple syrup. Never again. Is that the one you regret the most, putting the maple syrup in there, because now everybody wants (laughs) to chug? That one really almost killed us. So it was real maple syrup. Yeah, was. I, he dr- I drank two and a half, and I made him drink three and a half, because I'm like, you don't have it yet. <laughs> uh, well, let's do another couple takes. And, uh, you know, afterwards, I had to go shoot a love scene, um, which didn't even make the movie, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> he, he went, I mean, we were, we were at lunch, we laid down in the dark in my trailer and just shook. And all for the entire thirty minutes, just shook, <laughs> and then oh and then when I got back to the uh, the uh, hotel, he I saw him coming out. He goes, "Have you pooped yet?" And I'm like, <laughs> "No." He goes, "Report back to me after you." Wait done. for <laughs> it. And he goes, "There's a reason it's part maple syrup's part of the of the master cleanse." And you know, like Washes, things yeah. came out of me. I don't remember putting in like <laughs> like a fossilized robin fetus. I yeah. was like, Orion. I don't remember that yeah, one. Spark plug. Yeah. Jay yeah. as a director. Do you ever ask for another take when you really don't need another take, but you just want to mess with the guys? Yeah. If if it's something if it's something that's uncomfortable for them, sure. Like maple syrup. Yeah, I'll do Love it just for ball. fun. Just for fun. So Super Troopers came out when I was 10 years old, and I feel like it was very influential on my sense of humor. Rewatching it as an adult. I feel like you guys don't get enough credit for the writing. Like the writing is just so solid in every single one of your movies. So I wanted to share with you the top three quotes that I use in my everyday life. Oh, yes. and this okay. is from all your movies. So, and number three, I have he can't pull over any farther. Is it true that, that that opening scene was based on a true story? Yeah, it was a true story. Um, it was, uh, I think it was Lemmy, or they were trying to go over to the border into exactly. Canada. And um, these guys uh, got pulled over and they had mushrooms, and some guy ate all the mushrooms, and then they got thrown in jail, and the mushrooms kicked in when the guy was in prison. He ate mushrooms for six people. 
Yeah, terrible. I've had How problems long did he trip the... for? I don't know. He, I mean, he did. He's still, I think he's, he's still, still going. He's still tripping. <laughs> His eyes went black, and he's, he's still uh, tripping. I had trouble on the Canadian border, too. One time I was trying to get back into the United States, and somebody with my exact same name, I think they were charged with murder. Ah, so they, they had to like identify that I was not that guy, so they held me at the airport for like an hour. And I'm like, I'm not him. Uh, at number two on my list, I have... Give me a double bacon cheeseburger. Oh, uh, yeah, it's for a cop. For a cop. Welcome to Dippus. Can I take your order? Give me a uh, double bacon cheeseburger. Double bacon cheeseburger. It's for a cop. You going to spin it now? No, I was just telling him that so he makes it good. How hard was it not to break during that scene? I was just happy to be in the scene and get to watch it up close. It was, it's one, it's one of my favorite scenes we've ever done because not only is Kevin great in that in that scene but the kid who plays the burger Dimpus burger guy yeah is also one of my favorite actors he's great and the, and he's just Charlie Finn the two of them Charlie Finn and him are just going at it and I'm like I'm right here yeah <laughs> it was so fun I mean like because I said to him I'm gonna jump up this I'm gonna tackle you he's like okay here you are and then I did it and he's like oh my god and it was a you know that's the take that we used you know my number one is from beer fest and this is one my wife hates because I do it every single time she can not say the word frustrating but I would continue saying it's frustrating it's frustrating frankly I find the whole thing a little frustrating because I, I can't figure it out it's frustrating it's frustrating it's frustrating it's frustrating it's frustrating can you get the hell hey improvised line or is that in the script it was improvised yeah it was improvised it, it was, was just a matter of originally my line yeah and I couldn't it was your bit yeah I couldn't quite get my mind around how to make it funny. And so I'm like, you do it. And so he did it, and he started doing it. I'm like, yeah, that's good. That's better. We'll do that. Uh, and so then they, they riffed on it, on that frustrating. Yeah, there's the, that's another one of those things where there's a, pro- a lot on the editing floor yeah. about me messing with him. Yeah. Um, with the doll trying to make him snap. So between Kevin and Jay, how do you decide who is going to direct the movie? Because you directed Quasi. I did, yeah. I was doing a movie called Easter Sunday with Joe Coy, uh, and when this movie got greenlit, so he, I just said, why don't you direct it? He said, okay. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. Simple as that. We've known each other for a long time. Jay, I, I, speaking of directing, I loved your episodes of Unstable that you directed. Oh, thanks. I'm really into like a 24-minute comedy right now. Nice. And I know you guys are writing Super Troopers 3. Did you ever think that that would work as a TV show, like a 20-minute TV show? Our process is too thorough to crank television out at the rate it needs to be done, I think. I mean, because we write 30 drafts of scripts, and it's it, it's possible. I mean, that would be a good show. I agree with you. I just don't know if we'll ever – I don't know that we'll ever do it. No, no. I mean, yeah. originally it was conceived that way. There was a, yeah. there was a moment in time where it we was. were going to do it as a um, as a TV show, and then and then Fox passed it on passed, it. passed, yeah. So screw them, we right? We wrote a pilot. And then where are you guys on the Super Troopers 3 script right now? Pen drafts. What does that mean? What is a draft? What does that look uh, like? It's about a month. It's of a work. full script, you know, and it's just it's just in an early form, you know. We we keep going through it. And we had jokes and we you know fix plot stuff and mostly trying to get the structure working, and then we'll just pour jokes on top of it. So Quasi comes out on four twenty. If you're listening to this at any other point, it could already be out. Go watch it right now. Yeah, is four twenty the new Apparently Broken we... Lizard release date? Uh, uh, we think trademarked. So. We trademarked it. I think so. It's become our holiday. Yeah. We we write these movies uh, uh, occasionally with with a little bit of weed. So w- watching them on weed is really it unlocks their true true potential. That is the true meaning. The four twenty. <laughs> 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 well, I appreciate the time, guys. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks, with yeah, thank, thank you. you. So there we are, the top five movie mic interviews of twenty twenty three. 
Hopefully, you join me when I return in 2024. We also have an episode coming out later this week with Kelsey giving her top 10 books of the year. So everybody asked about that episode. We decided to make it its own thing so it's easy to search out. That will be up here on the feed later this week. So thank you for being subscribed. Thank you for listening every single week. Hope you have a great rest of your break if that's what you're on right now or if you're still working. I see you too and hopefully you're getting some chances to watch all the great movies that are out right now. We'll have a lot to talk about when we return. But until next time, go out and watch good movies and I will talk to you Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.